Welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every film from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and I'm pretty sure that if we finish this Top 250 list, we will both be space babies as well. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I feel like the more that I podcast with you, the more my mind is going. I can feel it. There is no question. <laughs> All right, and today we are breaking down Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Really feel wow. like we need to uh, give our give our thoughts on this film. Really, uh, <laughs> I feel like there's not enough out there. This is a Space Odyssey, Hendo. This is the movie, often it cited is. as the greatest movie ever made. And here we are. Ready to give our thoughts on it. To completely give the opposite opinion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 2001 A Space Odyssey, the 1968 epic science fiction film produced and directed by Stanley Kubrick. The screenplay was written by Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke. (laughs) Screenplay. (laughs) You mean the short story, Hendo? (laughs) Inspired by Clarke's 1951 short story, The Sentinel, and other short stories by Clarke. Shocker. The film, which follows a voyage to Jupiter with the sentient computer HAL after the discovery of an alien monolith affecting human evolution, deals with themes of existentialism, human evolution, technology, artificial intelligence, and the possibility of extraterrestrial life. Okay. Starring Kid Dulia and Gary Lockwood. Did they go on to have big movie careers after these performances? I don't think so. You know, I actually looked up Hal, because I thought the voice was really good for Hal. And that guy mm-hmm. did nothing. He did the sequel. That's about it. Yeah. What's what's that? Is that 2010, the year we made Contact, I think it's called? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think it's got John Lithgow in it. Ugh. And I, th- I think there's some, like, well-known people in it. I mean, I'm sure if you say, hey, we're making the sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey... You're going to get some people be like, oh, yeah, this will be the next big thing. Let me do it. Roy 1984, Scheider. yeah. Roy Scheider from uh, Jaws. Helen Mirren f- is in it. Hey, Bob Balaban from ah, Seinfeld. Ah, there you go. Yes. So, yeah, I guess those are the big four there. No, but we're not talking about 2010. We're talking about 2001. So, cinematography by Jeffrey Unsworth, who had two Academy Award nominations for Beckett and Murder on the Orient Express, and he also won two Academy Awards for Tess and Cabaret. Okay. So, this was the last movie made about men on the moon before Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on there in real life. More than 50 years later, there is still a conspiracy theorist who insists that this is not a coincidence, claiming that all footage of Armstrong's voyage was a hoax film directed by Stanley Kubrick using leftover scenes and props from this movie. I'm sure you heard a lot about this in that uh, Room 237 when we did The Shining, Dean. Yeah, yeah, the the documentary about the yeah, shining. about all the yeah all the theorists out there about Stanley Kubrick and all the bullshit I mean, he honest, went through. Honestly, I think that's just a massive compliment to Kubrick because mm-hmm. all that's doing is saying that what he filmed looks real. Yeah, that's all that. Like is. the special the special effects for the time would have been monumentally groundbreaking. And I'm pretty sure I also read that he tried to get some insurance uh, that if they did end up doing they end up having man walk on the moon before his movie came out that he would get some sort of insurance claim because the movie wouldn't be as success- as successful. No, it wasn't that if they walked on the moon, it was if they discovered extraterrestrial life. Ah, yes. Yeah, that's right. But no like the insurance company wouldn't insure it. No. 
So the initial idea for the device that would eventually be known as the monolith involved a transparent screen which would show the the people who would walk up to the monolith how to use objects as tools and weapons. And Arthur C. Clarke dismissed it as too naive. Also, the HAL 9000 computer started out as a mobile robot, but Clarke feared that this view of artificial intelligence would become hopelessly outdated in the coming decades, and so they replaced it with the red eye. Well done. Can you imagine a stupid robot I'm picturing like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy bad yeah. level of walking robot. Terrible. It would be would have been a terrible. man in a suit doing the robot. <laughs> it would be so like just no presence at all. The red dot. Oh, genius. So there's a couple of shots in this film. The first one I'm going to talk about is the throwing the bone in the air and then cutting to the the apparent ship floating in space. There was a lot of misconceptions that it was actually a space, like a, a satellite ship floating in space. Uh, it wasn't. It was actually a nuclear device circling the Earth, and it was uh, sort of showing the difference like from the first murder weapon to the ultimate murder weapon. So the, the, the disparities there. Yeah, I mean, I watched it and thought the shot's really good, but I definitely thought it was a spaceship that it transitioned yep. into. I also thought that too. I thought it was just the transition of you know the dawn of man to where they where they ultimately end up with their technology. Yeah. Uh, the let's see the uh, the original Star Child ending was supposed to have the Star Child detonate the devices and all the other devices that were circling the Earth. The Stanley Kubrick decided against that because it was quite similar to the ending of Doctor Strange Love. Yeah, and I don't blame him for wanting to distance himself from uh, Doctor Strange Love. You know. Yeah, I feel like you read that trivia and had that quip ready to go. I didn't. I didn't at all. It just came to me, Hendo. Sure, sure it did. So the entire film contains only 205 special effects shots compared to the 350 of A New Hope and the 2200-odd shots from Revenge of the Sith. Filming the special effects took about 18 months at the cost of about $6.5 million, which the full budget of the film was about $10.5 million, so that's where the big chunk of the budget went. Stanley Kubrick was determined to make every effect shot look extremely realistic, something previous science fiction films had rarely bothered to do. And it does show. Does it ever? It is beyond impressive how good this film looks today. I know. It still it still beats out films that they make now. Yeah, it's nuts. But like I said, a budget of roughly $10.5 million, it was not a financial success at first. MGM was planning to pull it back from theatres, but several theatre owners persuaded them to keep showing the film as they noticed a massive increase of numbers of young adults attending the film late at night to, in particular, watch the Stargate sequence while heavily under the influence of drugs. Tell you, it's a lot to sit through to get to that that Stargate sequence. But I'm telling you, the late 60s, a lot of people were going to drop acid and go see 2001 A Space Odyssey. It was a massive financial success. Like I said, $10 million budget made $146 million worldwide. Damn, that's massive. Yes, like a big success for 2001 there. It also won at the Academy Awards. One win. What do you think that was for, Dean? Special effects. Very good. The winner for the best visual effects. It was the only Oscar won for the film. It was awarded to Stanley Kubrick. It was his sole win from overall 13 nominations in his career. However, while Kubrick designed much of the look and film of its effects, many of the technicians involved felt it was wrong for him to receive the sole credit. And following this controversy, the Academy tightened its eligibility rules. So he took the sole credit for the visual effects and no one else got credit for it. In fairness, knowing what we know about Kubrick... I mean, if anyone's going to do that, it it does make sense, it seems. He would have been all over every single aspect. Absolutely. 
I did say it won Best Visual Effects. It was nominated for three other awards. It was nominated for Best Director for Stanley Kubrick, which he lost to Carol Reed for Oliver. Yes. It lost Best Adapted Screenplay to The Producers. Okay. And it lost Best Art Direction in the Set Decoration category to Oliver. I mean, I think it should have won for Set Decoration. Yeah. I mean, the sets that they pull in here for the you know, the space shuttles and all that. Yeah. They're, they're pretty good. They're really good. Yeah, they're really, really good. All right, but let's take a look at the history of 2001 A Space Odyssey in the IMDb Top 250 list. This debuted onto the very first list, the 26th of April, 1996, at its highest rank at number 25. The lowest it dipped down was in 2014, uh, early 2014, uh, at number 110. So from the start of 1996 to 2014, it had a little steady decline to 110. It's on the uprise now. It's currently sitting at number 89 with an 8.3 over 615,000 votes. Very good. But, well, so we've done some Stanley Kubrick films before, Dean. Uh, it's time to do, arguably, what some people consider to be his masterpiece, Dean. It's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yes. Let's do it. Let's. So, I uh, I thought there was something wrong with my screen for the first three minutes. Me too. I thought I'd downloaded a dodgy... I mean, I thought my, uh, my paid subscription was not working as it should be at this point. But... Considering the film that we were watching, I let it go. And I yep. waited until whatever song or piece of music that was playing was finished. I was like, oh, it's something has to change. And then the, you know, the MGM logo comes on and I was like, hey, there we go. Three minutes so of a black screen is not okay. I, I, did, I contemplated whether to move forward on this or wait it out. What a, I, what I, a perfect tone setter. For this film. Uh, Just well, I... really piss me off immediately. So <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I doing here? Like, for fuck's sake. Like, I remember, I actually remember a lot about this film. I saw it once, I would say, 10 years ago. I remember mm-hmm. a lot about it. I did not remember three minutes of black screen. And I reckon the reason I don't remember is because I would have just clicked through it. Yeah. Can I tell you my one and only experience with this film? Go for it. Okay, so I watched this when I was powering through the IMDb Top 250 list with our bet that we did years ago. Yes, 2016, was it? You're looking at my previous letterbox entries? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Watched it, and I gave it a good old half-star banger. Yes, (laughs) you did. Half-star. What the the fuck did I just watch? (laughs) For, For comparison, right, do you know what I gave this on my first viewing? I mean, have you logged that? I would have no idea. Yeah, I logged my first viewing. Uh, I gave it four stars. Wow. So, I at that time, I that was just a, a review, a rating straight after I watched the film. Then I waited a couple of days, looked up some reviews, some analysis, you know, a bit, a bit of, did a bit of searching on it. And I, I think I watched the Hal portion of the movie again. And I'm pretty sure I put it up to two stars. Like I, I was quite quick on my half star and thought there was some was some things about it that were intriguing and, and you know pretty solid. Put it up to two stars. So that's where I'm at with this film coming <sighs> into mean, this. With, I mean, I don't, I don't with, think that's with, fair. with low low expectations. I don't it's think low expectations. I don't think you can say a few days later, "Hey, I'm going to watch the best sequence of this film and then yeah. not the, all the bad stuff and raise your star rating." I mean, I don't think it was worthy of a half. Like, I don't think it was half star worthy. Like that, that house. We'll get to the house sequence, but the house sequence alone just just does not give make this you know half star. Hey, it's your rating. 
I know, and I just defended it. No, you didn't defend your half star rating. You did. The I defended why I changed. I, I defended. <laughs> I defended why I changed my rating. Yeah. Well, I'm hearing is uh, the sheep Hendo came out to play. Oh yeah, joining the sheep army of five star bangers with my two. I gave this four stars, Hendo. Can you? And you're imagine, talking about sheep. <laughs> can you imagine how good of a mood I must have been in when I saw this <laughs> film? I mean, didn't you say you fast forwarded the first thirty, three minutes of it? No wonder you, you, if you're just cutting out all the music parts, you're gonna give it a four star. Yeah, all, all the right. music st- parts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just straight music and no dialogue. Yeah, apparently there's 88 minutes of no dialogue in this film. That is true. I saw that trivia as well. That's a lot. It is. But let's get to the dawn of man here. We get a lot of uh, monkeys starting off here. Yeah. Hold on. So. Before that, we do get some planet shots with the iconic... I mean, great music. Problem is, is. I've heard it so much in other medium. You know this wasn't supposed to be the music that was in this movie? No, go on. So they had a composer come in and make a full-on soundtrack like a, an original soundtrack to this movie that Kubrick just scrapped. Said, "No, I don't want to use it. I'm going to use classical music." So they, they I think, I'm pretty sure the guy who I'm pretty sure the guy who composed the score or the soundtrack, whatever it ended up being, actually did use it for a, another film that I I heard the name of it. I don't know what that movie is. I can't remember it off the top of my head now. But you go look up that trivia and you see that movie. If you go watch that movie, you're going to hear the original 2001 a Space Odyssey soundtrack that was going to get used. That would be interesting. I'm sure a lot of people have done that. Do you want to get to the dawn of man now? Yeah, so we get all these landscape shots. Now, apparently, yep. these are just photographs that are being shown here. It's not yeah, actually... I didn't, I, that, I didn't notice that. Yeah, me neither. Looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah, was good. But yeah, we have a whole bunch of uh, monkeys, apes, hanging around just doing their thing. They look really, really good. They do, I must say. This is quite a good costume they have here. With the exception of like one shot where it's a close-up and like the monkey's looking around, the eyeballs are clearly like under a mask. Yeah, but you compare it to like Planet of the Apes, which you think if they were ever going to get, you know, the the ape costumes right, it'd be in a film called Planet of the Apes. This These are heaps better. I mean, you've got monkeys who are actually acting like humans in Planet of the Apes, actually talking. I yes. think the costumes in Planet of the Apes are pretty great. I mean, they don't look real, though. These look like real apes. I mean, are they... Yeah, because the... I think there's a bit of a difference between actually up walking, talking apes who have taken over this planet than monkeys and apes who are acting like apes in this movie. I don't see a difference. Okay. So we get a long sequence of these apes uh, screaming at each other across this, uh, what looks like a little creek or river. Yep. Puddle, if you will. We get a leopard attacking one as well. Pretty sure it's a cheetah, isn't it? I mean, it's a spotty Did you just say what's creature. the difference? Wow. Have what you is no the respect for our feline counterparts? Tell me the, tell me the difference then. Uh, cheetahs are thinner and run faster. Actually, I mean, cheetahs it, are the closest thing to a house cat, a domesticated cat hendo. The leopard and the cheetah would have done the exact same thing in this shot. Yeah, but the cheetah has more personality. <laughs> Righto. <laughs> okay, but yep. boom, monolith, bang. There it is. And all the monkeys, they're yelling at they're it. Intrigued they're intrigued by it, but they're, 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 upset. they're scared. They're scared. They don't know what to do with this. I, I see this scene and I immediately think of The Simpsons. Okay. How so? Where monkey Homer goes up to it and uses it as something to lean on and sleep. 
Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I did think of The Simpsons a lot during this, but it was because of the the, the music space When he goes in space, space as well. Yeah. yeah he's eating the And even at the end of that episode when he is the space baby and the satellite the fox satellite hits him in the face. Yeah. That was good. Well done, Simpsons. Yeah, so they all get a good touch and feel of this monolith and you could, this is what they're going to be using to basically evolve because one monkey grabs a bone and starts smashing around with it and it's kind of how they become meat eaters because he uses this to club some, what whatever the hell these things are, aardvarks, I think they are, and now they're all just, you know, munging on some meat here. Yeah, but it also causes them to, you know, kill a fellow ape. Yes, but it also turns them into carnivores. You don't think they were already carnivores? No, because they were eating the plants. And there's not much, it's all dried out. So, and they've they got aardvarks walking around them. They learn to kill with this. It's a weapon now. They kill these aardvarks and they're all eating meat now. And they learnt this from a monolith. Is that not how it happens? I mean, is it? Is there some like transference of knowledge that we don't see? Or is it just, hey, this thing's really hard. Maybe we should find something really hard and hit something else with it. I think it's more of a, of a progression of evolution that this monolith is projecting. How because is as soon projecting? as this happens, I don't know how this monolith works. But what I'm saying what is, do you think? what I'm saying is, is it something we're not seeing happen? Okay, or is it just as simple as they see this tall structure, they touch it, and then in their mind they're like, "This is really hard. Let's use that elsewhere." I think it's what the or bone. does does the monolith cause the evolution? I think it causes the evolution. How? Because you can see after that, when he's hanging around the bones, he starts to gradually like pick it up and have a little tap, and then okay, he starts okay. to get more aggressive Stop. and realize what it is. I, I know that before, no bone, monolith appears, then they use a bone as a weapon. Yes. How? How does the monolith contribute to that? I mean, how does the monolith contribute to sending space signals out to Jupiter and and make our Dave character just go super old and turn him into a space baby? I mean, we're not up to that yet. <laughs> you don't have the answers for that either. I might in five minutes when we get to it. <laughs> All right. Well, do you have the answers for the monolith turning the apes uh, to evolve and stand on their hind legs and, and learn about being a primate and eating meat and attacking each other and killing each other? No, it makes no sense. I just wasn't sure if you had an answer. No, I don't. Okay. I'm just as confused as you are. I'm glad. Oh, by the way, what was the animal you called? What? Did you say it was an, uh, an anteater? No, I said aardvark. Aardvark. I think it's actually a tapir. Okay, what's that? Well, it's similar to a aardvark. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I got. I got to say, when this monkey. Can, can, can I hang on? Hang on. Can I just say this? Uh, I don't think we're, this is going to be the most intellectual conversation we're going to have with this. Oh, film. really? <laughs> when you think we're talking about this already? We're like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this this has every chance of being one of the shortest breakdowns we've ever done. I'll throw it out there. What is this, two and a half hours? I, this could be my shortest notes I've ever done. Yeah, I would not be surprised because you cannot write, hey, that's a nice shot, over and over again. Hey, yeah, nice music. Exactly. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, anyway, I thought by the time this ape was bashing the skull again and again, it was actually getting funny. I was laughing at the film at this point. Yeah, unintentionally, I think. I don't think they wanted you to do that. No, no, I don't no, think This is not a did. comedy. Hmm. Anyway, but yeah, so we've said we've said that uh, they're back at the water, but one tribe now has this knowledge of uh, bones hurt. So they kill it and yeah, then they throw it up, turns into the nuke apparently, and mm. we're like 20 minutes in. Yep, and we get a ex- extended scene of space shuttles and 
space spaceships landing on spaceships. Yep. I mean, we've already mentioned the way this this movie looks, and that special effects are fantastic. And even in even when you're actually in the the space shuttles and that, there's some like pretty in like innovative and ingenious shots there. Like you know when the stewardess walks in like to the the round area and she you know, walks upside down on the like an Inception type of like shot. Oh, it's Inception for sure. It's fantastic. Yeah. Like yeah, and looks, they do it several times. Yeah, it looks in this really, movie, really but good. It, uh, yeah, but every time they do it, it's shot differently. Yeah, no one's saying this film doesn't look good. Uh, yeah, who would say this film doesn't look good? I mean, <laughs> no one. We've always got Shane's review coming up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how that one's going to go. Uh, yeah, did you like? Did you like this woman's grip shoes though? Grip shoes? Oh, you didn't pick up on that? No. What is that? She has like she's wearing. Things on her feet that are labelled grip shoes. Okay. Which is why she's not floating, but the pen is in this uh, shuttle. Ah. Do you know how they pulled that effect off with the pen? Yeah, there was a piece of glass stuck to it or something. Yeah, with the newly invented double-sided tape at the time. Wow. Revolutionary, Hendo. All right, so Dr. Floyd is here now. He heads up to the uh, the space, space station, heading off to the moon. Yes. And all the girls have these, like, fluorescent pink outfits on. That is true. And a little and video get, chat with his daughter. Yeah, the, oh, before that, we get this voice activation screen for absolutely no reason. <laughs> it's like an extended thing that means nothing. This is this is late 60s. Everything you're seeing here is just, oh, look at the stuff that they're doing with the space technology and trips to the moon and that. But the thing is, like, this is so far in the future in this movie that this guy, it's just routine for him. Like, he's bored. Like, he's not, he's not even, he's not wonder, he's not showing the wonders of looking outside. Like, wow, this is so fascinating. It's just a routine trip for him. So it's, it's interesting to look at it like that. But I love how he takes the, uh, takes the video call with his daughter and, like, a video call is like $1.20. Like, Jesus, that is cheap for an old video call from up in space. I mean, back then, $1.20 was a lot, wasn't it? In the 60s. But still, up in space, a video call. Dollar twenty. I mean, that's mm. not bad. You know who plays the daughter? Uh, Kubrick's daughter. Yeah, Vivian Kubrick. There you go. Yeah, I, I do like how just nonchalant they all are that he's in space. Yeah, it's just a regular thing. Like, ah, I can't make it tomorrow. I'm working. <laughs> it's like, wouldn't they have known that when he left? It's not like he's up there for a day and back. Yeah, she said she wants a bush baby for her birthday. What the hell is a bush baby? I think it's like a like a just a, like a fluffy animal. Where do you would get you that like from? Me to actually figure this out. Would you like me to figure this out? What are you going to Google bush baby? Well, I hope I don't get flagged for it. I mean, if anything, you'll probably get like real life birth videos, won't you? <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So a bush baby is a small nocturnal mammal about the size of a small rabbit. Oh, she wants a pet. I guess it's not. It doesn't even look like a toy. <laughs> Well, we were way off then. Introduction to bush babies as pets. There you go. Well, there you go. Anyway, so next scene, we get uh, Haywood talking to this guy, and there are some girls there who don't really say much, and they're they're talking about this mystery of this station that they haven't been able to contact, and there's all this stuff about people being denied the ability to make an emergency landing there, yeah. and this this this. This guy, I think he's a doctor. This doctor guy is just like, oh, I, I, can I be direct? I hear there's a, there could be an epidemic. Can you shed any light on that? And he was just like, nah, not having a bar of it. Yeah, so they're trying to cover up the fact that there's this discovery of this weird monolith thing by saying, yeah, there's some, there's some sort of pandemic going on over there. So no one can go up there. So you've got to stay away. Yeah. Okay. 
Cool. Right, so they're on the way to the moon. Here we go. So I mentioned before about the stewardess going upside down in the in the room. This shot here is pretty cool when he's actually running around the circle and the camera is basically following him from left to right while staying in the same position. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's a very really, good shot. Really memorable shot. Yeah. So uh, how much more can we just repeat this? Repeat what we're saying here. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of like innovative shots and ideas that this film has, like eating the food packs you know, through the straws and all that stuff. Like, oh, this is so fascinating for 1968. It's like for 2021, not not really anymore. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a problem with sci-fi, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's also the problem with a film like this that's really touted as being something you've got to experience on like a massive screen. Like watching this on a you know big IMAX screen or something would probably be very fascinating to watch. But when I'm sitting there watching it on my TV at home, it doesn't have the same appeal as you know any other big sci-fi action film you've got coming out now. Remember when you used to watch films on your phone, Hendo? Yeah, I still do sometimes. What? Did you watch this on your phone? No, I didn't watch this on my phone. <laughs> what was the last <laughs> film you watched on your phone? Oh. Uh, I can't remember. It's been a long time. Okay, sorry. I just thought you said that you still do sometimes. Never mind. Yeah, I, I must have misheard. I can't misheard. remember the specific one. Can't remember the specific the last specific movie I watched on my phone. Sorry. Okay. All right, but we're at the moon and we see the base. And oh, we yeah. s- do we see the monolith for- now? It takes forever. It takes forever for this moon landing. Yeah. Here's another big chunk. We're 40 minutes into this film now. I'm like, are I- you serious? Yeah, I-, I kept checking this timer. I was like, oh. Come on. Because this movie's so long. It's not a short oh. film. Yeah, if you cut out all the, the space landing, the space bits, all that, what is it? Uh, uh, an hour and 20? Just to be clear, you, in the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey, you want to cut out the uh, the space? Yep, cut it all out. <laughs> Let's just have the Odyssey. Very nice. I don't need to have 20 minutes of them landing on the moon. Speaking of Homer, Homer's Odyssey. Yes, I got that. Thank you. No, uh, okay, I wasn't sure. You looked no, I, yeah, I, I dumber than usual. Ooh, okay. that's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now we get this sort of uh, incomplete rectangle shape of men. Oh, actually, there are women there. Yes. And Haywood gets up and talks, and he, I was listening carefully because there was not a lot of dialogue, so I was hanging on every word, and he's basically saying, listen, I just want to say... Thanks so much for, you know, going ahead with this cover-up. The epidemic was a cover story. Uh, and we're all here to get new information and blah, 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 blah. And then it's the next scene. I was like, what information? They're being so, like, cagey <laughs> about this thing. Yep, so they they find this monolith. They land on there. They, they find this. They've, they've dug it all up, obviously. They, they show up. Apparently, it's been hidden there for four million years. It's been a long time. This monolith just been just hiding under the hiding under the moon. Yeah, just waiting for the next, you know, the next the next step in evolution. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like it's hiding there, and it's like okay, if once these once whoever it is 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 evolved enough to find me, then we move on to the next step. And we get a loud sending noise. out this high pitched noise, this yeah. bloody high pitched noise that hurt my goddamn ears. Yes, it was very annoying. The noises yes. in this film, and then we cut to eighteen months later. Yeah, they're on a Jupiter mission. Yes. Because this uh, is where the the sounds the sound signals going. Yeah, but now there's a crew of five. Three of them are in hibernation, and we've yep, got as most sci-fi space movies have. Who do we have? We've got Dave and is it Frank? Frank. Yeah, it is Frank. It's Dave and the other guy. Yeah, Dave and the guy that doesn't matter. Now, yeah. More importantly, this is where we meet the Hal Nine Thousand, the best character in the film. Uh, I mean, it's not even close. Okay, no. I mean, it's it's Hal and boring Dave. <laughs> 
But I mean, how? So it's artificial intelligence that acts like it has personality, emotions, yes. all that stuff. And the arguments there, are like, well, maybe they just programmed to have the emotions so that humans can relate to it more, you know, and it can be more effective in communication. Yeah. But the voice, the voice is so good. Like, happy yeah. birthday, Frank. It sounds so ominous and, and, and like threatening every single time. Like, you, you feel like he's just going to do something. Yeah, it's great. And even when, so you've got Dave here doing a few, you know, artistic uh, sketches here. Mm. And Hal's just like, I, I want to I see it. Do you mind if I ask you a personal question? <laughs> I was like, you have got this computer who's like curious. It's interesting. But he's asking about all these rumors about the moon stuff. And Dave is not comfortable with the way Hal is speaking here. Yeah, it's it's getting a bit too much now. Like this computer is starting to get uh, a bit too bit too over the top, a bit too smart for himself here. Yeah, and he challenges him back like, uh, are you asking this for like a psych, psych evaluation? And then this is where Hal's just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I've detected an error. <laughs> and this is where he's like, listen, there's an error. You've got to go outside. Now, do you think that Hal... Because obviously... They go, they don't find an error. They start talking about maybe we should, you know, is this an actual error from Hal? Do you think we need to deactivate him? And then he goes and starts, you know, murdering them, basically. Do you think he planned the murders and all that from now? Or do you think that this is actually a genuine mistake from Hal and he is now course correcting after he's realized a mistake by going on a murder spree? No, I do not think this is a mistake from Hal at all. Do you? I'm not sure because I feel like he really only starts the vicious murder spree after he hears that they're going to, you know, t- try to take him down if they have to. It's like he's, you talk about the apes and that at the start where it's a kill or be killed mentality. Like he's evolving and he needs to kill the people who are attacking him. And it seems like this could, this could actually be an error from this computer tries to backtrack it by saying, oh, it couldn't be me. Like I, like it has to be a human error because I don't make any errors. And then once he hears from them that if he's done one error, he could do more and they might have to shut him down. He's in self-preservation mode now. He needs to defend himself. He is, he is, he is essentially the ape with the bone attacking the inferior like people to him. Okay. I mean, in the trivia that I read up on this, they do embellish that it's like maybe it's deleted scene or another version of the script where it's it's clear that Hal has deliberately done this to okay. cut I think it's cut like communication ties because of the mystery around this mission and they don't want like the other the the other sort of people involved in it he's doing what he's putting up this error that to to cut the ties of communication because isn't the doesn't he, doesn't he say that there's an error when there's actually no error yeah, I believe so. Okay. I don't, I don't understand the purpose of saying there's an error when there's not an error, if he means it. Like, was his whole plan to kill these people from the get-go? I don't know. That's why I feel like it is actually an error from Hal that he did this. And then once they realize that it actually was an error from Hal and he denies it because he wants to, you know, he needs to say, well, I didn't do this. It has to be you guys because I'm perfect. He goes into self-preservation mode when they threaten to kill him without actually telling him. Okay. I, I don't have a good enough argument to say otherwise, but I don't believe that is the case. Okay. All right. That's fine. Considering this is the best part of the movie, let's uh let's keep going with this uh murder spree. <laughs> yes. 
So, gosh. So, he, we get Dave controlling this pod now. This is so slow. Like, the movement of the pod is just snail mm-hmm. pace, as is this film. And it just floats around for ages. Yeah. I mean, that's that's half this movie, isn't it? Yeah. So, he gets the part. He takes it in. They look at it. They say, ah, oh, it's fine. What should we do? Well, I think we should put it back in and wait for it to fail. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. But everyone's super sus now. Hal's obviously denying it. And so, yeah, Dave and Frank are like, yeah, okay. That's fine, Hal. Hey, Dave, Frank, why don't we go talk in this super secret pod? It's like, oh, okay then. Opens this up. Opens it up. Shuts it off. They 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 figure out that Hal can't hear them. And so they start, they start talking. But they keep turning around and looking at him. Yeah. Like, they're clearly talking about him. Yeah. Like, stop looking at him. And this is my... Excellent! There's not really many, is there? Excellent! I mean, there's one other bit, but honestly, no, it's it's this. This is the moment when you actually realise that, like, Hal is reading their lips. He knows that they're yeah. planning on deactivating him. But it's not just that. It's also the biggest moment, despite Hal having no dialogue, of Hal having, like, personality here. Like, of mm-hmm. actually having, like, intelligent thought where you just see a dot. And the the fact that Kubrick can get you to look at a just a dot on screen and think, wow, that is menacing, is very impressive. I, I'll disagree with, this, with you saying that this is the only time he has some sort of intelligence or emotion or anything like that because... The scene coming up in the in the big red room when Dave is pulling out all his memories and that. I didn't say only. I, I said that, it's the first time. I swear you said. Okay. Anyway. All right. If that's the case, then that's fine. Uh, yeah. This is. It's weird that they go to an intermission after you get that reveal that he's actually seeing what they say. Yeah. This film. It's not halfway through the film. It's pretty deep into this film. Does not need an intermission. And if it did, it would have been earlier on. But we go back to, from the intermission, and Frank is out there now instead of Dave. Uh, Maybe if it was earlier have... on, Kubrick would be concerned that no one would come back. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to yeah, cut it off here, it's like, ooh, this is intriguing. Oh, fuck, i got to go wait another 10 minutes for an intermission. Yeah. I like how Frank is out there, and you see the pod just turn around and come at him with the claws, and you don't actually see it. You literally get... Like the the jump cut, the boom, 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 when it cuts, like it zooms straight in on Hal, like like cut, 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 yep. and then it cuts back to Dave. He's just floating, doing his. Yep, looks up and there's Frank just floating out in the middle of nowhere. It's like, oh yeah. shit! I'm glad we don't see it. I think it's much more effective that way. Yeah, because it's obvious what's happened, but yeah, yeah, we don't need to see it. So what, what does Dave do? He gets in the pod and he goes out, tries to save Frank, which is you know pointless. His air's cut. He's dead. And uh, poor Dave didn't grab his helmet, which was kind of a dumb move. I mean, yeah, it is. But you don't expect that Hal's going to actually be murderous if you're Dave. Uh, like, uh, I don't know. I, mean, I guess you're right. Like, it's easier for us to see because we know exactly what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. But, but we do see Hal killing the three other people here. Yep. So so pretty quickly, he's killed four out of five. Yeah, he's uh, he's on a spree right now. I love how when Dave gets back, he just opened the pod bay door, Hal, and just no answer. Several times, like, oh, shit. Here we go. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That's menacing there. It's like, oh, God. It is. It is. But he has the right idea to, to go into the emergency hatch. Even though he's got no helmet, he's got to figure out a way to get back in. Yeah, that was good. Uh, how, like how fast he moves through it. Yep. 
So I did see that the way they got that shot where he's coming at the camera as he gets blown into the emergency hatch was he actually was jumping down on a bungee cord towards the camera and was actually, they weren't too sure how much slack it would have. He was worried he was going to like smack straight into the ground. But no, it worked well. See, this here was the my other possible excellent. I feel yeah, like this me part here, yeah, where Hal basically becomes the most human character in this film. And he's yeah. begging and pleading to not have all of his memories taken out. And and like goes through like the the bloody five stages here. Where he's I'm sorry, Dave. Please don't. I'm better now. I won't do it again. Yeah. And, and, and it, yeah, I'm it's I'm I, I feel like I'm yeah, I'm going away. My it's mind is fading. going. I can feel yeah, it. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. I'm actually feeling a bit of sympathy for this bloody murderous robot. Yeah. Um my favorite bit about this scene was the image of so you got the red dot, which we've seen a million times, but you're actually yes. seeing its reflection, Dave, inside the red dot, and then you cut to him in this red room, and it really is like he's inside of Hal. Like I thought, I yeah. thought the the camera work was really, really good. No, oh, nice. Yeah. So after Hal gets basically, he doesn't get destroyed. His memories just get taken away because they still need the system to run the bloody spaceship and that. Yeah. You get the pre-recorded message from Haywood, basically explaining like the hidden like hidden mission that they were heading off to Jupiter because of this monolith that was pointing right at Jupiter 18 months ago with this sound and they were heading off to see what's going on. And now the the monolith just shows up here in this weird, like floating around in space right near it. Yes, that is weird. Yeah, so we're up to Jupiter and beyond the infinite. Ah, the skip ahead bits. Oh, man. D- did you watch this, honestly? Yeah, I watched it all. I did not. I skipped like there was no tomorrow. No, uh, I, I, no. Nah. I'm doing this for the breakdown. I'm gonna watch the whole thing. There's, I'm not, I'm not watching fluorescent lights. There's quick little like one frame shots of Dave like freaking out in between some of these laser yeah, shots, which actually works pretty well. Yeah, I did, I did see some of them, and then I was like, yeah, I'm still not watching this. It goes to the close up eye, and every time it blinks, it changes the color. It's ten minutes, and then come on, and then he ends up in a room. He ends up in a room. He's uh, quite old now. Yeah, he's about to get much older though. Uh, I yep, like. He comes it. out I'll, and he's. I like that okay. first image where the pod's just sitting in the room. Yeah. It's so out of place. And then you yeah. see, you know, then he's out of the room. Because, no. So, then he sees a, the red astronaut in the room. Mm-hmm. And he looks at it. And then we get the red astronaut's point of view. And he's become that red astronaut. Yeah. And then it happens again and again. <laughs> he sees his older self again eating dinner. And he becomes that person. He yeah. smashes the wine glass. And then yeah. he sees an even older person in the bed. And now he... He's in the bed, quite old now, staring straight at a monolith. Yeah. And then he becomes and a space then, baby. And then what? Does he become the monolith? I think he becomes the space baby, doesn't he? Like, yeah, but we've, we're, it's setting up the pattern where he looks at something and then we get that point of view. We get that, you know, like, does he go inside the monolith? Like the monolith's point of view? I don't know, man. I don't fucking know with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, nah, he's a fetus. He's reborn. And, and that's it. Apparently, a lot of this stuff gets explained in 2010. How can you explain this? I have no idea. That I mean, this is a, this is a terrible analysis and conversation. We're <laughs> let's beyond just quickly get analyzing to our final thoughts. <laughs> uh, let, let's, get, let's get it over and done with. Any last words? All right, I'll start. Uh, visually, it is stunning still. But, I mean, let's think about why we actually watch film. For me, it's to enjoy myself. Did I enjoy myself watching this film? Not at all. This is one of those films where you watch it and you're like, yeah, you can appreciate the actual craft. It's very, very well made. Undoubtedly, the music's really iconic. The shots are iconic. But it's so goddamn long. 
It's so goddamn boring. Thank God for Hal. Hal is this film's saving grace of some form of plot that you can actually watch and enjoy. I'm dropping it from my four stars. <gasps> what? And I'm going two and a half stars, which even, okay. that, even that might be too generous. But yeah, two and a half stars. I disagree with you that that is generous because I'm also giving this a slight bump up to two and a half as well. I can appreciate what this film has done for movies in general and in particular sci-fi films. I mean, we would have none of the classic sci-fi films without this film. It looks very good. It still holds up to this day. It is it is a visually stunning film. The hell sequence is at, is very very good. Like I could I could watch that section in a vacuum and it's quite quite good. But the fact that it is so long, it is so boring. Is it's so it's so hard to have a coherent thought with the majority of this film. It it's I, I'm not going to watch this again. I this is the, this is the only reason I'm watching this film is to do this breakdown. I'm not going to go back and watch this again. It's such a slog to get through so much of this, but I do appreciate where it came from. It's two and a half. Fair enough. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where's this going to sit on your rankings? All right, I'm going to put this way, way down the bottom of this. I'm going to go... I mean, it's. let's look at the very bottom. It's better than The Passion of Joan of Arc. It's better than The Seventh Seal. It's better than Ben-Hur. Is it better than Rashomon? No, it's not. It's going to be my new number 93 out of 96. All right, this is the second two-and-a-half-star film I've given, so it's either going to be above or below Rafifi. And I think this is better than Rafifi. So 2001 A Space Odyssey is going to be my new 91 out of 96. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I knew it was going to be this low. I could just tell. I mean, it's just it's just not my not my thing, honestly. And not yours either. Definitely not. Send all the hate mail to Dean because he started it. Hey, I at least one point in my life, I enjoyed this film. Whereas your <laughs> sure, initial right. reaction was half <laughs> a star. Okay. All right, our deep and in-depth thoughts on classic films is brought to you by our awesome patrons who love to hear what we have to say about all these films. And I really hope we don't lose any patrons because of this. Yeah, I, I doubt it. Yeah, no, they all are all fantastic over there on our Patreon. We have got our latest patron episode on our James Bond series. We just did Diamonds Are Forever, just about to head into the Roger Moore era. We also did a patron requested review on the Bong Joon-ho film, Mother. Yes, we did. It wasn't that an exciting episode, Endo. Sure it was. They always are. We also had a, another conversation with D&D where we actually, st- we actually spoke about the other films that we've been watching recently that aren't, you know, 2021 breakdowns or anything like that. Just just general films we were speaking about. And there's plenty of other content over there. Just head on over to patreon.com slash themoviejourney if you want to sign up. All right, mate, let's get to... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this oh. could be it. Uh, where we have our awesome patrons review the films that we break down. First one here from Nerdrovert. The Hal sequence is legendary, and I can appreciate it for what it did for all films to follow. But this movie drags on forever and kills you with boredom along the way. Two and a half stars. I mean, that's spot on. Spot on. Speaking of spot on, from Hunkrio, 2001 is absolutely brilliant with amazing cinematography and visual effects that were so ahead of its time that they look better than some of the CGI we get these days. It's not only one of my favourite sci-fi movies, but one of my favourite movies in general. Very good. All right. 
Time for David Powell. And he says, 2001 is in a league of its own among science fiction films. You can't really compare it to anything else because it isn't doing the same thing as the rest of them. Visually stunning, even by today's standards. A masterpiece. Okay. Mm. I feel like uh, David's going to like you less after this episode, Dean. Uh, I didn't think that was possible, Hendo. (laughs) Uh, Next up from Luke James Human. I was fortunate... Enough to have my first and only viewing of this in an actual cinema, and I won't be doing a rewatch on a small screen. This is much more an immersive experience than a narrative-based film. A demonstration in masterpiece movie making whose technical achievements mirror mankind's own technological advancements, all to the same futile, unknown end. Five stars. Damn. All right. Jamie Russell agrees there too. Uh, Big screen experience was pretty incredible. The opening sequence section in particular raised goosebumps. Some films just demand the big screen treatment. Little one here from Paul, the film busters as well, says, what a slog this film is. Three out of five. Short and sweet. I like it. All right. Thank you very much, patrons, for putting in some reviews. But of course, we've got... All right. So, have any of you seen a movie that's so up its own ass before? I mean, I don't want to be, you know, going around Googling the definition of pretentious tonight, but I'm pretty sure if I did, I've just been sent to the Space Odyssey IMDb page. All right, all right, all right. So what, what is the general consensus about this movie? I mean, I get all those folks in 1968 coming out to the theatre like, wow, it was like set in actual space. And then some other guys like, but what was all that shit at the start with the apes? In layman's terms, I get how the film could be could have been enjoyed in its day, you know, sort of like how Batman and Robin was enjoyed in its day. And I don't mean the um, you know, the 1960s version. I mean the 1997 Arnold Schwarzenegger crap. Look at the special effects in both these movies. Who needs story when we've got all these kick-ass lights and sound effects and music, you know? I'm pretty sure, though, all the people that rated it so high on IMDb probably haven't even seen the movie or they saw it so long ago they don't even remember it you know it um i think it came with the uh stanley kubrick box set which you know had full metal jacket classic clockwork orange classic eyes wide shut classic the shining classic and what what's this at the end oh it's um 2001 space odyssey yeah i haven't gotten around to watching that one yet but i'm sure you know classic then of course you know I've got to go over to um, Letterboxd where all the smart movie people are hanging out. And what, what, are the, what are the popular reviews saying on there? Okay, I'll read, I'll read a few sentences. Dear anyone who thinks this movie is long, boring, and pretentious, you're a fucking idiot. Five stars. Well, well then, the people have spoken. I guess I'm a fucking idiot. Two stars. <laughs> oh, that's gold. I wonder how many people have compared this film to Batman and Robin before, Hendo. I think that's the first time ever. Oh, dear. Uh, thank, yep, thank you very much, Shane, for that classic review. Love it. Thanks, Shane. So, what's next? All right, Dean, next week it is the random number generator. It's back. It's back with the, I don't know. Vengeance. The vengeance, maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's it going with, Dean, this time around? Uh, it's going Gold Rush, Hendo. Ah, Charlie Chaplin. We're going back to the 30s, hey, for this one. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what has more dialogue. 2001 A Space Odyssey or Gold Rush? <laughs> Jeez, I don't think we've done... We haven't done a Chaplin film since City Lights. I think that was like our like our 16th episode or something like that. Really? 
Is yeah. this only our second Chaplin film? Pretty sure, because I know we've done two Buster Keaton films in between. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes next time. So thank you very much, everyone, for checking out this episode. And we'll see you next time for The Gold Rush. Bye. Bye.